You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Soap here, excited to continue our series featuring NLC alums who are on the front lines of COVID work today, joined by 2016 NLC Maryland fellow Marlon Jenkins is here. His angle into work on the COVID front lines is a little unique. Some uh, one uh, working in an industry we haven't quite heard from yet, so you'll definitely want to stay tuned. Let's get to it. All right, Marlon, I feel like you are our first guest who's in the National Guard. Gives folks a scoop on why you decided to join up with the Guard and when that first started. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I joined the Guard in 1999. Uh, a lot of the state national guards pay to go to college you know grew up in a poor family so i had to find a way to pay for college and uh join a guard in 1999 and 21 years later here we are and then have you been activated for uh, emergencies in your state previously or was this the, the the first one i have uh been activated for hurricane katrina relief in louisiana mm-hmm. that's where i'm from originally uh also did some hurricane reader relief uh, they happened back to back there in Louisiana, and uh, since I've been in Maryland, you know, obviously we uh, have had some various storms, and you know, we in the National Guard, whenever the weather gets bad or whenever there's a civil disturbance, you got to be ready to go. So then, for a situation like this, a pandemic, is there any training you would have gone through previously, or is the experiences that you just described working on storms are those transferable skills related to say? Uh, securing logistic, logistical supplies, and those kind of things. Do they translate pretty easily, or did you have to learn a lot of new skills for this? Well, for me, they translate pretty easily because I'm I work in logistics, so I am a senior logistics officer. And in Maryland, every year we have exercises to uh, practice for hurricane responses or practice for uh, storm responses. So it's a combination of the two, right? Because uh, in one instance, we practice working with our state partners, uh, like local uh, local county governments, and then we also focus on distributing materials that they may need to do their missions. So uh, this time, insert. So we were ready to go, but you know, this time we just had to insert PPE and you know, COVID-related <laughs> material. You know. So, in the experience so far, what has surprised you the most? The complexity of COVID, I think, has been a shock, right? Hmm. We are, uh, everybody's trying to do a good job, but it just, uh, it just looks different every day, right? Because, you know, we have to battle the, the human nature of the COVID, and then we also have to, to balance the, the uh, you know, the, the military or medical responses, you know, to, to what's happening. So it's like every day is just kind of learning and being reactive when you prefer to be proactive. And I feel like a lot of folks in the NLC community, you know, are pretty close followers of the news. And a lot of what's been in the news is how each state seems to be on their own trying to secure PPE supplies. Can you give folks sort of insight into if that's really true? And, and also if the federal government had played a more... Um, had played a, a stronger role, how might things look differently than they do right now? Well, I, I think that, you know, obviously being, you know, still active in the military, uh, it, it's all, you know, it's limited in certain places. But I definitely think that um, there has been a, a competition uh, 
for PPE, and and the competition has been global. And when we are doing orders right now, we, we only, you only get about sixty <clears throat> to seventy percent of those orders filled. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's definitely been a, a a challenge trying to do that. And I think anybody that studies supply chain management knows if you can have one central location to get stuff, it makes it easier than having uh, you know multiple locations. But then just getting it is that. It's just a part of the challenge. Once you get it, you know, having the education to understand when you need a mask, what type of mask, when you need gloves, when you don't need gloves, it's been the, you know, the other side of it too. So, you know, having standardized guidelines on that would help, you know, as we, we try to, you know, move forward. And then in terms of the data you have access to to make those decisions about where things will go once you have them, how does that data make it to you? I'm also kind of curious, like even what platform it's in, you know, kind of in my simple, naive mind, I'm picturing just a very complicated Google spreadsheet, but obviously it's going to be different than that. But how do you even uh, get the data, assess it and, and see it on a computer screen? So uh, a lot, what a, I don't think a lot of people realize that the National Guard um, has a two-part mission. So one, we work for the, the president, obviously, and then two, we also work for the governor. So our commanding officer general actually is a cabinet member of the government. So we are getting the same information that our, you know, Maryland State Secretary of Health or, you know, Maryland State Secretary on those departmental levels. And and our primary mission in the National Guard is to supplement those other state agencies uh, where we can. So so we're getting the real-time data that you know our other you know secretary of health and all those that all those folks get we just obviously use it to to uh, uh in a different way than they do and then last thing for folks who want to see and monitor progress that states are securing the ppe supplies that they need and that we'll have it for the long haul like what would you advise folks to look for in the news or like what metrics could they check out to at least have an understanding if we're making uh, legitimate progress on this challenge? Well, you know, I th- really what I think folks could do to help, believe it or not, is uh, understand that as a common individual that uh, is not providing medical assistance, you know, a simple cloth mask and or, uh, you know, washing their hands would help them defeat the coronavirus. It also makes more PPE available to get to those medical professionals that are doing the job. Uh, you know, Maryland, our state websites, our governor does uh, great uh, updates, you know, daily. And all our stepway websites have those, uh, have those information. And we're just trying to shift the uh, focus to testing right now. When we come back, we'll chat with Marlon a little bit more about life outside of the National Guard. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Marlon, what's your actual day job? Uh, I am a labor and employment attorney with uh, American Federation of Government Employees, so I represent federal employees. And I'm also a community liaison for... uh, Delegate Wanika Fisher in District 47B in the Maryland House of Delegates. And then when you are not National Guarding, are you able to work from home? How has your day-to-day professional life changed? 
Well, I actually have been on active National Guard duty since <laughs> uh, we have put the stay-at-home order in place in Maryland. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I haven't been to my day job in probably uh, April time frame or so, okay. plus or minus. Yeah. 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 And in terms of things you're just seeing in your own community where you live, uh, what kind of uh, efforts are you seeing in terms of volunteering by different organizations or, or what kind of needs do you still see that need to be filled? Well, uh, through Delegate Fisher, uh, we're doing a lot of volunteering with the organization Casa de Maryland. Uh, within our district, uh, we have zip code uh, 20782 and 20783, and those two zip codes have the highest uh, COVID-19 cases in Maryland. Hmm. So uh, she's actively partnered with CASA-19 because we have a, a high immigrant and high Latino population you know, within our district. So CASA de Maryland is putting together a lot of materials and we're distributing you know, to, that, to that community that you know, sometimes can be uh, voiceless or go unseen. So, so that work's been very beneficial. Hey, last thing, in terms of staying connected to your NLC uh, family from the 2016 crew and, and alumni in general, what, what ways have you tried to keep it keep in touch with those folks? Uh, we have group me's and text chains, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's oddly enough, you know, even though we've been shut in, I've actually been in communication with more people uh, than I would normally be. So mm-hmm. I, I think that the group has uh, definitely been intentional. Uh, Twenty that I was a had attended a couple happy hours with our current class, and we were getting geared up for the fundraiser and trying to mm. put some ideas together. And you know, hopefully they they're able to finish their good experience like we had back in sixteen. Good stuff. Listen, thanks so much for your service and for all you're doing, and thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. Make sure to catch all past episodes and all the places you grab your podcast, Apple. Google, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. A bunch of great stuff is all there right now. We've dropped a lot of episodes in the last couple of weeks. Check them all out. They're short and sweet. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.